This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, April 26, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. There are now several so-called green energies that President Obama and others would use to supplant so-called brown energies. But the consensus now surrounding a recent energy savior, corn ethanol, is decidedly dour. So what about wind, solar, and other green energy sources? Andrew Morris, professor of law and business at the University of Alabama, is co-author of Cato's new book, The False Promise of Green Energy. He spoke at the Cato Institute April 21st. Wind and solar energy someday may provide significant amounts of energy for our society. They do not do so today for two reasons. First, they are expensive compared to the alternatives. That's why we need subsidies. If you compare natural gas and solar panels, approximately 1,000 cubic feet of natural gas at a cost of about $4 can generate the same amount of electricity as running an average rooftop solar system for 131 days, as Jerry recently wrote in his Forbes column. Natural gas also has the advantage that it can be used at any time of day, at any time of year, can be stored until it's needed, and both the United States and the world have a lot of it. Now consider wind. Earlier this week, the Department of Interior announced the approval of the Cape Wind Offshore Wind Farm, more than 10 years after Cape Wind first began seeking such approval. Of course, one reason it took 10 years was that uh, it was a heavily politicized approval process with noted green energy advocate, the late Senator Ted Kennedy, fighting the project because he thought it would spoil the view from his home. That's the sort of NIMBY attitude that affects many of our Uh, these projects. Now, the energy from Cape Wind that will be sold to just one utility is going to cost $1.2 billion more than the same amount of energy from conventional sources, a cost that Massachusetts ratepayers will have to pay without receiving any benefits. And despite a Massachusetts law requiring utilities to use renewables for 20% of their power needs by 2025, Cape Wind has found buyers only for half its output thus far. Moreover, there are what the AP referred to in its story on this, as dozens of lawsuits filed against the project by, ironically, environmental, historic preservation, and other groups. Renewable energy is also expensive for taxpayers. The Energy Information Administration at DOE estimated in 2007, before the latest round of subsidies and spending, that subsidies for solar were $2.82 per million BTU, compared to $0.04 for coal and $0.03 for natural gas. Now, these subsidies are so generous that wind farms in Texas regularly sell their power at negative prices. That is, they pay people to take the the energy. During 63% of the days during the first half of 2008, according to the American Wind Energy Association, which hardly would be inclined to overstate this. Now, subsidies are wrong whether they're for oil or for solar, but it's no argument for subsidies for green energy that solar and wind should get them because others have received them. The correct reaction is when we've identified a subsidy, we should eliminate it. The second major problem for renewables is that they require unacceptable infringements on the rights of others. When I lived in central Illinois, a windy spot where wind farms are sprouting, many residents have been, are seeking to zone out further wind farms near their homes because of what they view as unacceptable impacts from noise pollution to shadow flicker to the deaths of birds and bats. Where my in-laws live in rural west, west central Texas, a public power authority is taking land by eminent domain to construct at public expense a transmission line to bring expensive wind power from the panhandle to the eco-paradise of Austin, damaging the environment with blasting that harms springs and wells and infringing on the property rights of ranchers and homeowners. Those in the path don't like it, but they are far outnumbered by the voters in Austin, and that's in Texas. All forms of energy require trade-offs. No one wants to live next to either a coal-fired power station or a wind farm, it turns out. 
But clothing particular forms of energy production with governmental power is wrong, whether it's coal or wind. The third reason that renewables have not taken off is that all kilowatt hours are not created equal. When power power is generated, it turns out to matter a great deal, as power storage technology is in its infancy. Renewables are greatly inferior to natural gas, coal, large hydro, and nuclear in this regard. The Texas Electric Reliability Council, or ERCOT, which has a great deal of experience with wind, rates wind power at just 8.7% of its nameplate capacity because the wind blows so infrequently. Worse, a study done by GE, which has a huge investment in the success of wind, for ERCOT, which also has a huge investment in the success of wind, in 2008, found that wind power peaks were anti-correlated with load across all seasons. That is, wind produces the most energy at the time we need it least, which means that it simply makes the base load generation capacity less efficient by replacing capacity that we do not need. Wind power is also inherently and unavoidably variable. That same GE study, done by a company reaping a fortune from green energy programs, found that the variation in one-minute loads were 14.9% greater with the addition of 15,000 megawatts of wind power to the ERCOT grid compared to with just 5.4% greater with the addition of 5,000 megawatts. What that means is adding more power to the system increases the problem it creates. We can handle a little bit of wind with our system. We can't handle a lot. And wind power creates even larger variations for five-minute and one-hour periods. Adding wind thus increases not only the net load variability, but the amount and size of the extreme variations. Variation is costly to deal with. It requires more transmission lines, more costly intelligence built into the network, and more costly backup capacity from non-renewable sources. And similarly, solar energy has, has problems because it's available only when the sun shines. As a result, wind and solar systems require essentially that we build a parallel system of power generation uh, to replace them when they're not operating. Finally, green energy proponents make much of the fear that China will surpass us in renewable energy technology. I find China to be a curious role model for green energy advocates. Over the next two years, China will install over 50 gigawatts of new coal power plants each year. Its coal output has grown from 1.3 billion tons in 2000 to 2.72 billion tons last year. It's also planning to build 100 new nuclear power plants over the next 10 years. Indeed, China itself projects that its future power needs will be met by 65% from coal, 20% from hydropower, mostly from some of the most environmentally damaging large uh, hydro projects like the Three Gorges Dam, 5% from nuclear, and just 7% from wind. In particular, China is planning to make the exact same kind of investment in nuclear power, which it is also planning to export, that it is making in wind. Would this be a reason to subsidize nuclear power? Very few green energy proponents would agree. Moreover, Chinese utilities, which make these decisions, are owned and operated by the Chinese government. They sell power below cost, discouraging conservation. They promote the the, uh, growth of relatively dirty industries like steelmaking, and they operate within a system of politically determined decision-making that doesn't fit with our economy. Surely in raising the specter of China, green energy um, advocates are not proposing we mimic all of Chinese energy policy, but they don't really explain how this part is different. This is exactly our choice between a system that chooses technologies based on which commands the support of the political elite or a system that allows decentralized market decision-making by individuals to determine the outcomes. What can we do to improve energy technology? I don't like to be completely negative, although I'm sort of a negative guy. First, we can end all subsidies for all forms of energy. 
Uh, subsidizing any energy is expensive and destructive to real innovation, and so we should get rid of all the subsidies. Second, if we're concerned about encouraging technological development in energy, we have a cost-effective alternative to subsidies, mandates, and regulations. We can offer prizes for technological innovations that meet specified benchmarks. For example, the X Prize has done this for spaceflight. Prizes have a great advantage over subsidies in that you don't spend any money until someone actually delivers the goods. Subsidies, on the other hand, seem to go on forever. Third, we should get the government out of the business of picking winners and losers. The government's record over the past 60 years in picking energy technology in the United States has been an unmitigated disaster. We should let energy consumers choose their own suppliers. We should let energy producers innovate. And we should let the marketplace choose the winners and losers. Andrew Morris is co-author of The False Promise of Green Energy. You can get your copy at Cato.org.